don't know if that's going to come across as loud on the recorded show. That's what that does in our ears. Although it's funny. Um, when it first starts out, it seems really loud, but then the, like the drums and everything comes in mm-hmm. and the compressor kicks in and brings it all. I thought down. you were manually fading it out. That, the, I, no, I have a, um, I have a clip that's got the fade built into it. Just so I don't have to mess with that. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, yep. We're back face to face. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank God. This is so much better, John. Just don't breathe on me. All right. Stay over there. Well, that's why we're social distancing here. I always social distance from you. I try to anyway, except when you attack me. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a hugger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That Skype thing was no good. And I, I think part of it was my fault because I was recording in like our guest bedroom, which is just far away from the Wi-Fi. And yeah. I finally started plugging in. I, I, I hooked up or I, I guess lit up. I don't know what you call it. I patched in. The Ethernet that goes to that room mm-hmm. into, it actually into the switch so that I could plug it in, and that was much better. I also, I guess we can go ahead and talk about this. Um, I went ahead and changed course. So I had bought the, what was it, the Synology router, which I think I'm going to probably bring up here because that's router so old. I mean. Oh, yeah. It still works right. It's five gigahertz. I don't know. but Well, given the size of this room, it would be fine. I know. I mean, this one, this old one, or no, the, the other one. Oh yeah, well, that's not I mean, because there's a, not, there's no walls, and the distance is pretty close, so five gigahertz would be ideal. I mean, the only problem with Wi-Fi in this office is every single office in here has their own Wi-Fi router. But they're probably all two point four. Have you How looked? Much you want a bit? Oh no, they're just a ton of five gigahertz. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you look, when you put on your Wi-Fi network list here, it's it scrolls. I have a five K monitor, and it scrolls so far down, I can't even get to the bottom of the list. It's <laughs> <laughs> so many. Um, so that's the downside of Wi-Fi. Even if you have a good router, I mean, there's just so much interference. Yeah, it's it's everywhere. It's, yeah. That's everywhere. I mean, every house has a, a Wi-Fi router, right? Yeah, every house. But I mean, in, in this office, with because the offices are so close to each other, you know, there's just so many. Yeah, it's it's way worse than a typical like house situation. I just I just mean how how congested is that spectrum? I mean, I know it, I know it has limited range, so ideally it's not interfering unless they're like right up next to each other, but. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and like, well, to your point on 2.4 gigahertz, I mean, 2.4 gigahertz basically has three, there's 11 channels, but there's, if you want non-overlapping channels, there's, you can get up to three non-overlapping channels, one, six, and 11. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that's, that particular frequency has, or that spectrum, I should say, has so much other garbage, I mean, that, that use it, all kinds of like garage door openers and just all kinds of mess. And so it's really to be avoided. In fact, I tried turning 2.4 gigahertz completely off at my house. And in fact, it it made everything so much better. Like devices, when you walk around the house, roamed around so much better from like access point to access point. Because what happens is, you know, 2.4 will go further mm-hmm. than 5 gigahertz. It'll go through walls better and things like that. And so, you know, as you move around, if, if, if your phone thinks you're, or your computer thinks you're, the 5 gigahertz signal is getting a little too weak, it'll switch over to the 2.4, which is, the wrong decision and unfortunately it seems like most even advanced devices are doing that mm. uh, the 2.4 is always going to be way it's just so way worse so i turned i completely disabled 2.4 and it made everything so much better i mean even just with changing nothing else like sitting in that guest bedroom i mean it was it was a relatively low signal strength like i think the rssi was in the kind of negative 70 range and you really want it to be negative 60 or closer to zero is that high greater i guess the whole negative thing mm-hmm. numbers they're hard um but uh yeah so so it's considered you know kind of a low signal but i mean it's still good enough for I, I mean great ping times and i could just nail 100 megabits per second no problem in in both directions so that's i mean most for yeah, most intents and purposes that's that's pretty fine um 
But I, then I discovered that my thermostats operate on 2.4 gigahertz because I couldn't, yeah. so I couldn't uh, I could change the temperature in my house without getting off my ass, which is a deal breaker. <laughs> well, I think what you can do is you can, I thought most of those ran off multiple antennas, so you could, you could change the SSID one to be specific, right? Yeah, I could have done that. So create a separate network right. yeah, for, um, yeah, for the, for the, and I'm, and in fact, I still might do that, but no, oh, I also found my, my, uh, Roombas are 2.4. First world problems. I know it is. I'm not, I have to get off my ass to change your the temperature in my so house. Big, you need you need uh, repeaters <laughs> everywhere, and uh, all your devices run on different different. Uh, uh, Man, and I tell you what, spectrums. My house was. If there was one thing for sure that they did not take into account when they designed my house, mm-hmm. it was Wi-Fi. Because there's no good place to put a single. Like at my last house, and the new house isn't even bigger, same size. But my last house, for some reason, like it was just, it was, I, one access point could serve the whole house, which is pretty fine. Um, I just can't get away with that in the new house. It's just, mm-hmm. there's a couple of rooms that are just too far apart from other rooms, I guess. Did you at least, get, spread out you more, least get better cell coverage? Because I know that was an issue from your last house. I do have better cell coverage, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, let me, I'm, I'm, we're, we're bearing the lead. Yeah, we are. We're going to um, get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that I decided, now I thought the Synology router is fine, but I, um, I think it was Kevin Poorman and some other, and also just some other, some other readings. I mean, cause I've been looking at Ubiquity for, a, actually for years I've been looking at Ubiquity, but they have so many products and it's just kind of confusing. So for people who know like Ubiquity, which is in, it ends in an I instead of a Y, uh, they're one of these, like, they're kind of more, they're, I don't, I don't know if they're enterprise or not, but they're, they're a business oriented, like networking company. And I also think they're American based, which makes me feel a little bit better. I get nervous about all these Chinese devices, uh, in mm-hmm. my house, but, um, they, yeah, they're, they're definitely more business oriented and like, I guess prosumer or whatever. So you pay a little bit more, um, but the tooling is, and I'll show, I'll have to show you later. It's just, it's amazing. Um, well, I, I mean, used their home line series, but I didn't have a good experience with it. No. Yeah, that was weird. I remember you saying that. So the only, so, okay, the setup I've gone with is, so first of all, with, with a Ubiquity setup, you usually go ahead and buy one of their, they, they call it a cloud key. Mm-hmm. And it's just a little bitty device you plug, you plug in to via Ethernet. And it's, it's like a little server is what it is. I mean, you, you can actually run it yourself. If you, want to, if you have your own server or something, you can run their, um, I forget what their software is called. It's like the monitoring software or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that, but it's just easier to get the cloud key. So I, I got the, bought the cloud key. And it just sits on the network in it. And so, because when you configure your network and your policies and all this stuff, it is, the cloud key is what communicates to all the other Ubiquity devices and says, okay, you need to be on this signal this wi-fi here you know these vlans these ip addresses just configures it configures all that and you and when you bring on new hardware whatever like it's what provisions Mm -hmm. the hardware keeps it up to date updates firmware it's kind of control it's a controller i think is what they call it controls everything instead of having to go to each device log into each device and manually configure it yeah um but the upside is it's always listening too so the amount of data that you can have it um just keep for analysis purposes is really great. Like I've got deep packet inspection turned on, which I think is the default because I don't think it really chews up much CPU. Um, so, you know, I can see, you know, how much my bandwidth is going to video services versus, you know, mm-hmm. chatting and just whatever, all kinds of different things. Um, You're on little mini big brother there at your house, aren't you? You can't, I mean, it doesn't, It. I mean, you can see even actually per device, like what type of traffic, but I don't have it like tracking, mm-hmm. like what websites you go to, or even, I don't even think it can see DNS resolutions or anything 
Um, I mean, you probably could somehow. I, I don't. I haven't even looked into that. But uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So it. So Ubiquity has this option, and it says it's kind of like a beta option. But it seems to work fine. But you can say instead of turning two point four gigahertz off completely, you can say if the device, the client device that's connecting to the network, if it supports five gigahertz, don't let it connect with two point four ever. And so that's I don't know cool. how that works. I don't know if there's something in Wi-Fi where the the AP can tell this the the well, client by MAC address, right? It just filter by MAC address and say don't switch. But I, okay, you're not listening to me. You didn't even let me finish my sentence. I don't know how the device knows whether the client connecting to it su- supports 2.4, 5, and which versions of all those. So I don't know if there's something in the Wi-Fi protocol that when a client mm-hmm. connects, it says, "Oh, by the way, I can do all these things." And the and then the d- access point says, "No, you're not. You're only going to do this." I, I don't know how. To, I mean, I'm. I don't I know if there's. Think it, <laughs> I, th- I gotta think it can. Something's going on, right? There's some way to do it. And I don't know why it says it's experimental and why hardly any other hardware supports that, but it seems to work. Um, my Now my Roombas and air conditioner can connect, but my none, like none of the computers or phones or anything, are they're all staying on 5. They're not going to 2.4, which just fixed. It actually, it's almost like extended my Wi-Fi another 20 feet out. Because it was when things would be like, oh, five's getting a, five gigahertz is getting a little weak. I'm going to switch to 2.4. And then it just, your service sucks at that point. Yeah. Whereas if it just stays on five, even though the signal's not great, it's still pretty great. <laughs> Effectively. Yeah. But yeah. I'm super happy so far. The only problem I had originally was when I, so I'm, I'm hooking all this stuff up, bringing it online. And by the way, one thing that's great about Ubiquity is like everything's power over Ethernet. So, you know, I, I plugged my, I've got a 16 port switch. Plug the switch into the into, into power into AC, but everything that plugs into the switch via Ethernet powers those other devices. Power over Ethernet, so you don't have to like I didn't have to I did have to yeah I didn't have to plug in the cloud key. It's powered over, it's powered from the Ethernet cable. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think all the other stuff is all the access points. You just run a Ethernet cable to it. There's no power required. Oh, so you're running Ethernet power. to the access points. Yep. Yeah, I'm not doing. So I'm it's going not a mesh where it's, it's not a, it's not okay. mesh. It's multi access point. And and clients and people, there's a lot of confusion about this. People think that you have to have, because what mesh means is just the backhaul is wireless instead of wired. The mm-hmm. backhaul for, you know, an access point to get back home is wireless instead of wired. Right. Um, the clients don't care. Like the, the clients, a, a, a decent client, like a phone or a computer or whatever, can pretty fairly seamlessly roam from access point to access point. Clients, there's no such thing as mesh. Like that's not even like a technology. Clients don't have to support it. They don't know about it. They just it, to them it just looks like another access point. Mm-hmm. That oh, by the way, as you're moving around the house, it's you're it's starting to get a stronger. It's getting a weak signal from the one it was connected to, but it sees that there's other this other signal that's much stronger, and it'll switch to it. it doesn't care if it's wired backhaul or wireless backhaul. Right. Um, so I'm trying to yeah. I mean because if, if, if you can if you can get away with it, having wired backhauls. By far the way to go. It's just right. mesh, or aka like wireless backhaul, I guess, is for if you can't get an Ethernet cable to that access point. Right. So I'm trying to go all wired to my access points. I would love to do that, but I'd have to do some significant wiring myself. Yeah. I mean, so far, actually, it seems like it's working. Um, I may not have to do another. I've got two. I've got one in, you haven't been to my new house yet. There's one in our closet. And then there's one in Sarah's office, which is like way satellite. It's like a, you have the access point in the closet. Yeah, because it's like central to the house. Okay. Well, first of all, that's where my D mark and everything. That's all. That's where the wiring is all from the house is brought into the, our closet. There's like a little wiring board or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. this. 
it's not well done or anything, but that's just where all the wiring comes in. So that's why you, that's where you're going to put your hub and everything anyway. And that's where the, um, the D mark is wired to come into. So that's where my cable modem is and all that crap. Okay. And it's, it's actually, I mean, the central, other than being in the living room itself, because it's, I mean, the, the, the wall of the living room, but right behind that wall is our closet. And that's in the middle of the house. So it just makes the most sense. So there's one there. And then there's one, yeah, in, in the office, which is way at the front of the house. It's 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 off on its own. It's like a satellite. Mm. It's kind of weird how the house is designed. It's not super efficient. <laughs> but yeah, the ubiquity stuff's pretty awesome. Uh, I was gonna say the only problem I had was when I went to set up the actual router. So with ubiquity, I mean, there's for the most part, I mean, you can get the combo devices, but like, you know, your Wi-Fi access points are separate from your router. I mean, you have the you have the router that sits in between your ISP and your home network, mm-hmm. right? But then you can your where you have access points is, is treated as an orthogonal thing. Like it's, you know, it's not a combo. Like you just have one router, which is also your access point. So, um, so I was, I was hooking the, I had everything hooked up. The last thing I hooked up was the router because I still had my other, my old router in place, which is how I, we were still getting internet access home. And I didn't want to disturb my family. I didn't want my kids to freak out because their Roblox game stopped working or whatever. So I'm trying to get this router configured and working, uh, with my other router still in place. And I guess normally the way you do it is because it needed a firmware update. It was like the firmware on this is the controller was telling me the firmware on this is so old that like, I can't do anything. You need to update the firmware. And so you could, um, the way to do it was uh, you could, there's like, you basically SSH into it and you can give it a command and say, Hey, get this firmware and you give it the URL and it goes and gets it. Well, I could, I tried that, but it, it didn't have the router didn't have internet access yet. And I, I couldn't get it on my network. Um, why couldn't I get it on my network? I can't remember. But anyway, hmm. I ended up, it's, I actually I kind of spun wheels on this for a couple of hours, but I ended up downloading the firmware and then I was able to just SCP, which is like an SSH copy, the firmware onto the router and then logged into the router and ran the firmware install command, just pointing to that uh, firmware file. And that worked. Hmm. So that was the only thing that's like, okay, that was a little more advanced than, you know, Joe Blow is going to do. Right. But other than that, I mean, after that, everything's great. It's really cool. It's, and, and you can really, I mean, the tools it gives you and also in terms of like just optimizing your network and tuning it and everything is really great. So, but I mean, I, I think I'm all in. And I also, I, I also realized I overdid it on my access points. I bought access points that were more power. I'd be better off with like three kind of middle of the range because they have like, there's like 10 different access points you can get. I mean, there's probably more than that, actually. They have such a, they have a huge product line. But I bought like these two really powerful ones. I just should have bought two or three normal ones. So I kind of overbought. I just didn't realize it. Um, but anyway, I spent, I think all in was like 900 bucks. It's pretty pricey. It is, it is pretty pricey. Yeah. Um, but again, I got, a, I got a 16 port switch. I've got all power over ethernet. When I go to add cameras, the cameras went on power over ethernet. I mean, that's going to save me a ton of electrician money and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it's, to me, it's like one of those pay me now or pay me later. Yeah, it was a little bit more, I mean, it's more expensive than a $150 router. Right. right, but I mean, there's so much more I can do with it, and you know, if you're not ever going to do those things, then yeah, it's a waste of money. But I'm the type to do those things, so yeah, I feel like it was a pretty good. I'm investment. the type to want to do that. I, I yeah. do want to run some Ethernet because I do want to set up some cameras in the back where the garage is, and I do want that to be, I do want that to be Ethernet and power over Ethernet, and then I do want an access point in the center in my hallway that'll cover basically all the bedrooms. Yep. And then have all my, hopefully, it's an iffy, have all the networking in my office. Could you get away with just a, a central access point, like right in the hallway there? 
that would cover the whole house. I wonder sometimes. Where's if, your exit point now? It's in my office, which is the far, yeah. it's one end of my right. house, which means the bedrooms have spotty coverage. Yep. I mean, it has coverage, but it's weak. Okay. You can also just put an access point like in your master bedroom or something that would cover that side of the house. But yeah, you probably get away with one in the hallway. That's what I'm, that's what I'd like to yeah. do. Uh, but the, but I still have the problem of having to run Ethernet to a couple of other li- different locations in the Find house. Find your good local home theater guy because mm-hmm. they'll they'll run Ethernet all day for you for like way less expensive than networking people or especially electricians. Don't call electricians unless you have an actual high voltage problem because they're just so expensive. Oh, I, yeah. I had to have an electrician move uh, an electrical outlet for our refrigerator just straight up, like on the same even on the on the same two by four. Just straight up, like three feet, and they, it was two hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> so, I just went through remodel, yeah. so every everything costed a ton. That's true. Well, John, let's see. Well, I got that. They got that topic out of the way. Sorry, we just lost everyone, but oh well. Salesforce. That one's your fault. <laughs> that is my fault. Well, yeah, this is awesome, man. I'm I'm glad to be back in here. I'll tell you that. And Skype business is no good. Yeah. Although we, although I feel like we did a pretty good job of making it work, and and not having horrible quality. I mean, the worst thing about the quality was, uh, probably the echo, right? Yeah, I don't I don't think it was as bad. Yeah, it, it was still bad. Oh, I, mine was horrible. Yeah. Mine was worse than yours. But well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because when was, we first started out, my echo was was really bad. Um, I think there's more things in my office now that will capture some of that sound. And also at the time I had lost my rug, but my rug is now back in my office. So I think that helps as well. Cuts back on that tin can effect. Yep. Um, yeah. So we had that community cop topic, topic, topic that we uh, held over okay. uh, from not last week, but the week before, because somebody was too busy to record. No, no. How busy have you been? Not as busy as you. Not as busy. Yeah, yeah. I've been just. I mean, the weird thing is, well, I've got because you've you've got this monopoly around the integrations because you've got such, such a finite system for doing it all. I'm well. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to start working on that, which involves this certain person whose initials are. <laughs> what do you What do you go by? You do JDS, but you're really J E D, Jed. Mm-mm. Yeah, J E D S. J E D S. I guess if you can, does Santiago is that two? Does that deserve two, two words? That's two initials. So it's J E S. Or if I'm Jeds, if I'm going to do complete <laughs> formal full name, it's Jeds. Uh. Don't write that down. You can't make Jeds a title. <laughs> I can't. Well, I don't know. That's true because you're the one who does that. But if I did that, I would make it the title. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, no, yeah, I. I'm I'm gonna get you involved in this. No, my the problem is I'm having right now is well oh, I don't want to I don't want to get into too much of my problems because they're my problems. But I have um, several projects that are like kind of in testing and final mm-hmm. stages. Yeah, it just requires so much just background knowledge that it it would probably take you more time to get me up to speed. That's the way I felt about a lot of things is that I don't have a lot of context or background. So even though I'm picking up things to do i'm just i feel like this remote resource where you're just kind of like a dumb bot you know <laughs> go go put this trigger in place i'm like okay i'll go do that because i don't have the context of everything else to go well wouldn't it be better if we did this or or 
here, sure, I'll do this and I'll do all the testing and everything, but I can't. I, I have no context. I'm not sure which is more offensive, remote resource or dumb bot. They're both offensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, no, actually, so that's an interesting point, which is true. But my, the point I think I was making was that they're in a stage where it's, I can't just sit down and churn out work. Like there's, I'm just waiting on a lot of like feedback and other mm -hmm. stuff. And they're just so, I have all these open loose ends that I, I can't close yet. Right. And they're just distracting. And when they do pop back up, like they need immediate attention. Right. And so I have to stop what I'm doing and it's just context switch hell. Yeah. Also, just with this integration stuff, I mean, there's, you, you really can't do it in a, in a, um, what's the term? In a, in a bubble or in a, you know, in isolation. Um, there's just a lot of communication. You would think you could, but you can't. There's a lot of communication that has to happen. Yeah, I wouldn't pretty think much could. through all parts of the process. And, and so, you know, you, you might think, oh, I've, you know, I've got this good chunk of work here. I've got this project to do. And you sit down and start doing it. And about 30 minutes in, you're like, you get stopped. You're like, damn. I bet they didn't think about this. I have to ask. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask. And then you have to wait. Right. Sometimes you can get an immediate answer. It depends. But sometimes, you know, you're waiting days. Um, and it's like, okay, well, what else can I work on? So, you know, it's, in some ways, it's good to have a few things, a few irons in the fire. Because, you know, you, they get, well, it's, they it's get a, taken it, out of service. that analogy, it's a double-edged sword. Because, yeah, you've got a couple of things, things but that, now you're context switching constantly. And so it's good to have something to fall back to, right. but at the same time, if they're all asking for your attention, it's kind of sucks. Yep. And, and usually they're not, but every once in a while, just because of law of some kind of numbers or averages, they'll like a lot of them will need your attention at once every mm. once in a while. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like on a lot of these things, I am, I'm almost done, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And as an organization, you know, like I think we're getting better as well at some of these things. Yeah. So that helps too. I think the challenge right now, and I mean, this will just be anecdotal, but I think some of the challenge right now is, is a lot of the new automation stuff coming from Salesforce because it's, you think you've got your process nailed down. You think you, you think you know how your team is going to operate, but then Salesforce throws this new thing at you. And then you're, you're going through, you're kind of repeating all the hurdles that you took to get something to work again, you know, or to, to smooth out your process, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, is, is that a good way to transition to this dynamic forms and forms and dynamic buttons? Yeah. Because <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that it, it allows non-developers to do more, but that also comes with lessons learned. You know, what is it good for? What is it not good for? I mean, I cut my teeth on that that new flow before context thinking this is awesome this is going to be just like me doing a trigger no but it's not <laughs> you it, it's really not it's it does work but there's things you can't do like you can't you can't rely on formulas formula fields are not available to you in that context which is weird because in code it is when you get you get your object and you can access formula fields and you can make decisions based on that but you can't with this yeah um, so there's a lot of little things like that. And just the error handling story around it is still a problem, in my opinion. Um, there's not enough governance on checking things. Like with workflow, it was nice because if it was null, it would kind of gracefully fail or just gracefully not do what it, what it was supposed to do. It wouldn't throw a huge error. Whereas in flow and process builder, if you have nulls and you're not checking for those nulls, when you try to make decisions or access something, you're going to get these weird errors and more and more. 
I thought they'd fix this, but more and more we're getting those GAC issues. Whereas before, it seemed like when we when they first implemented it, we got a lot of those, and then it got better. So it seemed like we started to get better error messages, and now we're back to that. But if you go into the log, you can kind of see what's going on sometimes, and sometimes you can't. It's it's just not a good story just yet, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, that gets into the whole like low code thing, and there's just there's there's a huge I don't know if it's a debate. I guess a debate going on, not in really, I mean, it's somewhat inside the Salesforce space, but also outside the Salesforce space. Just on because there's a there's a, actually several interesting low code platforms out there that are you know originally built for this type of thing, mm-hmm. where Salesforce is you know kind of patching things on at this point. But yeah, yeah just I mean, I don't know. We don't have to get into that, all that stuff, but. Um, well, you want to talk about dynamic forms and buttons? Well, and just, I don't remember how we even transitioned that, but um, what was it that, because I, I wanted to tie that in. Well, I had mentioned learning new stuff and how it affects your process. And just when you think you've got everything nailed down in, in terms of implementation, um, these new things come in and now you've got to figure out the do's and don'ts with it and how to work with it. And it also, it just means you're going to have a lot more problems than you thought. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, the, the problem space. Mm-hmm. The, I shouldn't, it's not the problem space. It's like the, the failure space, <laughs> the failure surface area, um, gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, it does. There's, uh, well, and there's no good way to orchestrate it. Well, I mean, dynamic forms and buttons are different than some of the new automation stuff we're getting with flows and, and with process builder and all that kind of stuff. There, there's no good way to orchestrate that at this point. I mean, yeah, we've got these new tools, but they don't really work together very well. Um, it would be nice if I could call invocable process builders from code and flow from code because then I could implement my own orchestration tool, but I can't. I could probably do it the reverse way, but flow and process builder aren't really great at handling errors. So that doesn't make it a very attractive source as being the orchestrator. So there's just there's just so many gives and takes that it just it makes it very difficult. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, John, you're someone who can can sling some code, right? So when you've got the best tool at your disposal, the question is, what are, you, what are you doing to justify using tools that aren't the best tool? Well, there's there's justifications for it. I mean, there's logic and things that's very custom to, to a client, and it would be e- better to provide that using a tool like Process Builder or Flow, because the idea being that they can go in and make those changes themselves. And I just think that's, that right there is a... is. Oftentimes, I just a flawed thing. It's like that—that's actually just a bad idea, and you're setting people up for failure. It is because of the the way the tools work, I think, and and, and their actual fitness for function and how ready they are. And also, I mean, because the thing is, you know, a low code tool, draggy droppy, right? Is not—it's not going to fix your complexity. It just puts layers of abstraction. On top it, of it. it does. And in fact, it makes the complexity worse in a lot of scenarios. I mean, flow itself, trying to draw out a very complex piece of logic, it's possible, but good luck going back in and maintaining it. Good luck going back in and understanding what it's doing. There's no, there's no really good way of managing large scale flows. And then if you try to adopt some kind of invocable process where you're modular, modularizing your, your pieces of functionality. So you have invocable processes and invocable flows. There's no good way to see all of it in one chain. 
So you're popping in and out of each one and the UI sucks because it takes you completely out and there's no good way to transition between the two. You can't even open a new tab in most cases. So you're, it's. it's and the, not to mention this, just the setup UI is still completely just almost, I consider it broken. Yeah. And there's no good way to test them. And yeah. I'm not trying to advocate for unit testing, but I'm saying there's no good way to, to, to implement it and go, okay, I'm going to click this button and see what happens because it does everything. And just push like, it push it to production and see if it works. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know it, it doesn't even it, like there's a there's a debug function on flows that you can use, and you click on it and you give it whatever parameters are required, and it'll run your flow. However, it doesn't do it in a virtual context. It doesn't do it like you would expect a test would do it. If it creates records, if your flow is responsible for creating records, it's going to create those records even though you click this little debug button. So you run the risk of of messing up your your production data if you're testing in production. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the criticisms that were, I think you just leveled, but I, I certainly have to add some of these low code things can really also be applied to code. I mean, can you make an absolute mess that is just a garbage with low code tools? Yes. Yes. Can you make an absolute mess of garbage with code? A absolutely. Um, so it's, it's not, that, <laughs> you know, it's not that uh, c code is this solution that doesn't bring its own problems. It, it does. It certainly mm -hmm. does. But this show is all about cutting through the, the BS on all these different things and figuring out what's, what's truth, what's fiction. Right. And where you should draw those lines. I mean, so yeah, so code can have tons of problems too. But, you know, with, certainly with low-code tools, you are abstracting away details that sometimes don't matter. And that's okay. And with a relatively small investment, you can get a big payback. That's that's the great thing about some of these logo tools. But um, you know, you, when you just when your problem just has a certain level of fundamental complexity, because things in life and business can sometimes be complex. Sometimes you want the right, you know, you need to be operating at the right level of abstraction for your problem. And a lot of times, just dragging boxes around and stuff is not the right level of abstraction. It, it only just takes you so far. And if you try to push that too hard, I mean, you may be able to get it done. But when you look back and see what you've created, you may not be happy with yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that goes with anything, but... It, it does. And that's why, <laughs> I think, that's why these things are hard to talk about, because it's all gray areas. Right. It's just where on the spectrum is Apex code? Where on the spectrum is, is invocable methods and process builders and all these things? They're, they're all different parts on the spectrum. I mean, I mean even Apex is, is an abstraction. I mean, it's, you know, you're... It's, you know, Apex is a relatively simple programming language with a simple syntax. I don't know why people are so scared. But I think I think actually more admins who are all about the drag and drop, you should probably look at Apex. It's because you're going to want to. I mean, I've seen plenty of admins do it. They're like they're getting pretty good at Apex, and that's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. You know, it's just another tool they have when they have that kind of problem, and it's great that they at least have an understanding of that tool, so that when they see that type of problem, they'll they'll be like, you know what, that's a nail, and I have this hammer now. Mm -hmm. before all I had it was a screwdriver and I was just trying to beat this nail with a screwdriver and it just you know it was <laughs> this, this hammer I'll tell you what it works really well um, so yeah using the right tool I mean that's kind of what this is all about but it's but again it's all spectrums and you can make arguments for any, any of these tools I mean given given that it's at least possible to solve problems with this different array of tools and, you, know, you have to just make, make your argument on which one you think is a better is a better one and look and it, you know I don't know the the thing that gets me, and, and this goes back to the um, this forms dynamic forms thing. Is you know the the word is, you know, it's basically a quarter baked. You know, it's 
at this point. I don't know if it's released yet. I guess is it is it out in twenty summer twenty? So I think this is the. I don't know if this has ever happened before, but it's the first time I've ever heard of like a production beta. So it's available. It's not GA. It's still a beta feature, but yeah. it's available in production environments. And so and and you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with it. Maybe that's a good thing actually that we're kind of in a way it's uh, it's kind of an early access thing. And that's kind of what they should have called Lightning. They should have called it a public beta when, well, it, okay. when they released it. And, and so you're making the point, which I had in my head, that which is that I think that's fine actually. Mm -hmm. But call it what it is, Salesforce, and message appropriately to us. We're not dummies. We're not babies. Right. We're adults, and we can understand that. Hey, we're going to give you access to this tool. We're going to put it. We're going to call it that it's in this status, and you know, be honest with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm getting more and when it all comes privately, but more and more feedback from. Um, Important people in this ecosystem that are getting very frustrated with the with the level of BS from just marketing in general. Yeah, yeah just from Salesforce. Well, I think just, in general. I think there's there's so many things that Salesforce does now, and it's it's getting really complicated. Like before, it was a page layout, okay, and you had code, okay, but now it's code and process builder and flow, and there's everyone's got their own way that they're trying to promote themselves. It seems it seems like the marketing is fragmented. I mean, it's it's still all really bad stuff. That not bad. I shouldn't say that. It's all hyped, but now it's siloed hyped, it seems, where there's not a lot of um, consistency across the different different areas. So you get a lot of, you get a little bit of misinformation. Yeah. And I, I just, I mean, and I know that, I mean, Salesforce, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's probably what they're best at is marketing. They're great at that and, and messaging both mm -hmm. to, Customers and prospects, but also Wall Street. I mean, ever since Salesforce went public, like things really changed, and um, they've got to. It's just like you know, look at any. And this is this is just the this is life with public companies. I mean, look at any of them. I mean, pick on Apple or whoever, and they've all got to. You know, Apple a couple times a year trots out. You know, uh, their executives to show all these fancy new products with these exquisitely prepared demos. Mm -hmm. You know, that are just total OCD level demos. Um, everything's perfect and everything's amazing and it, they're so good at that. And yeah, that's for their developers and their customers and, and, but it's also for the press and the invest and the investment community. I mean, it's just such a huge aspect of it. And they've got to, they've got to have that show and it's got to knock you off your feet. It's got to knock your socks off. Yeah. I, I, and Salesforce, really me. when Salesforce needs, they, you know, they, they need to do that too. They need to, it's, you know, you're quarter to quarter. You got to knock their socks off. And if you, if it's not ready, just, just pretend it is ready. Yeah, I, I have a really big problem with the... I know it's a double-edged sword. The, the whole Wall Street story is a double-edged sword. A, it's nice because we all invest into it. Our retirement funds are, are invested in it, and we want these things to grow. We want to be able to get a return on our investment. But I think the other problem it causes is that you have companies like Benioff's mantra of the fastest to $10 billion. Why does everything have to be so fast? Why? Why does Apple feel the need to release three freaking phones a year? Why not release one every two years or once every four years that's that's polished and ready to go and everything's ready? Why doesn't Salesforce wait till Lightning is ready to go? But no, we see them pushing these announcements even before they're even ready to release. They're like, hey, we've got this new thing. It'll be ready in a year from now. Just just keep checking and we'll give you we'll give you documents and we'll give you this and we'll give you trailheads and this so you can be prepared in a year from now to use this. Yeah. Why? Because they need to put this out in front of investors to go, oh, look, we're growing. We've got this new stuff. Everyone on everyone on, on our little ticket of um, 
of websites, you know, whenever they drop it, you know, you see all these floods of articles of everything dropping on the new feature, mm -hmm. even if it's just a rebranding and it's just, it's just marketing and everything to, to boost the, the, the stock price. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's for, for sure. And it's, it's, and it's not just public companies. I mean, it's also private companies that are, that have investors or VC. I mean, it's, you know, people are under a pressure. I mean, someone is, someone owns equity in, in, in every company there is. And yeah, I guess, you know, I guess they're looking for performance, but I think in private companies, you maybe not, I think it depends on who's investing. I was, was, totally. was going to try to make the point that, that maybe with an, with private investment, you have a more one-to-one -one relationship because it's, it's an investor, but you have all these really big buying groups anyway. So you're probably still further removed from that, but it seems like in smaller startup companies, there's there's usually one or two pretty big investments, and you can have those conversations, and you can you can have those private real talks that say, okay, here's where we're at, here's what we're doing, here's the issues we're facing. Whereas in public, in the public eye, in the public sphere of of analysts and everything, they just take everything and they run with it, and they either blow it up portion either positively or negatively. When I was a younger man, I worked at a company that yeah, they we had basically one investor who basically wrote us a like a $30 million check and we, we would have, and we didn't, I don't even know if he, I mean, I probably had like a seat on the board or something. I have no idea. I don't even know who was on the board of this, this little company, but yeah, we'd have, I can remember having, I don't know, once a month conversations with him. Mm -hmm. uh, just like you just said, like, here's how it's going. We, you know, we were hoped for this. Here's where we're at. You know, we had this product under development. This is what's good. This is what's bad. And he would just be like, oh, Okay, that's great. Y'all keep it up. Keep going. You know. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> um, and you know, is that a great way to invest? I don't know. I mean, if it was my money, I'd probably have a little more anxiety than this guy did. <laughs> but the key is, I, part of it, I think the key is like um, to diversify your investments. Because if that was all, if like that was all his money, mm -hmm. then I'm sure he would have the tone would have, been, would have been a little bit different. Right. But I think he, you know, yeah. this was a small fraction of his of his wealth, so. And he believed in it, so he's like, okay, cool, you know. And that's how, you know, when you can afford to invest relatively large sums of money on on risky bets, you know, every, every once in a while, one of those risky bets pays off massively. It's kind of like, I guess, kind of like the VC model or whatever, but maybe yeah. not that extreme. Um, but yeah, you know, messaging, marketing, so we continue to have to try to figure out what's real. And, and that's what, you know, every time one of these things come out, whether it's the new work.com or this dynamic forms or whatever, I mean, everyone, we're all kind of professionally looking around at each other going, okay, what do you think? Is this, what, what's real? What's not? How, how baked is this? And because yeah. we all, we all know that it's not baked. We just, we've been conditioned and prepared for that, but we're all supposed to be like, yes, this is great. Awesome. <laughs> You know, and just keep that smile on your face and keep well, clapping it, it and cheering until you, until you until you discover what the limitations are. Yeah. Um. But um. Anyway, where what was our what were we even talking about there, John? How do we get on that? Uh, I don't we, remember. We just keep rolling to the other things. So let's talk yeah. about um. They announced was is this new even that they're I think it is that they're going to open source the the CLI which. Mm -hmm. I don't really follow it that much. I I kind of thought it was already somewhat open source, but apparently not. Um, can I just fork it and simplify all the naming? <laughs> you can. <laughs> I mean, you can. And, and well, they, because this is what I'm trying to figure out because Salesforce in the past has had a checky, check, checky, checkered uh, history with 
their working knowledge of the term open source. <laughs> so just because you dump source, like do a source dump, that does, that's not open source. That just means you dumped your source code and it's the source available is I think the term I hear people use, source available. That's not open source. Open source applies a lot more things, including process governance, licensing, right? You can't just dump source that has, you know, your proprietary corporate license and call it open source. That is not open source. Well, there's the other side of, of making something open source and that's dumping a product in general. Like we're not going to build this anymore. Here, here's the source. If you want it, build it. And, and well, yeah, I mean, that, and that could turn into open source. I mean, again, if they, if they give it the right license and there's some kind of community that forms around it, that is governing that mm -hmm. development of that and, and accepting or, or working with, you know, public contributors and things, then that's, you know, open source ish, I would say, I mean, at some point. But I saw it, they, they, Salesforce had a blog post on the developer.salesforce.com, which is still a site, I guess, that you don't have to log into through trailblazer.me or whatever it is. And let's see. So they said they've, they've, there's some interesting points. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to dig through, I'm trying to parse the words here of the, of mm -hmm. how they're describing this. And so part of it is they say they, they, they did a, actually they did a source dump of the Salesforce ALM project which I don't even know what that stands for. I forget now, but it's just a lot of the core functionality that the CLI uses, taps into, I think exposes, okay. I guess. And then they also say, you know, FYI, you can expect updates to the snapshot to occur each major release. So three times a year, they're saying they're going to do another source dump. Well, of course, that's totally not open source. <laughs> that's not open source <laughs> at all. Um, and then they said, and this is also in interesting. I'm going to emphasize the word I think is important here. We were taking a piecemeal approach toward OSS and were deciding what to open up on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, so I think what they mean by that is that, and, and uh, it was pretty clear on other parts that they're, what they're saying is, it's, I mean, not, uh, the parts of it are kind of starting to become open source. So, so part of what they're trying to do is modularize this more. That, you know, they're, it's one of those things, you know, you get asked to open source something you, you've been working on, you're like, oh, really? I'm not sure I want people to see that code, you know? Right. <laughs> so, and I'm not saying it's bad code, but I mean, they definitely, I think, are wanting to take the opportunity to, um, to modularize some things that will probably make the product itself better, just better, mm -hmm. um, but also make it easier to open source and to, and to maintain going forward. I mean, you know, having one monolithic, I mean, that gets on the whole really debate about, you know, should you have one monolithic thing? But, you know, clearly Salesforce has decided that this is going to be actually, you know, several different modules slash repositories and things. And, and they're all going to, well, that's the justification for the, the lengthy commands. I guess so. And, and they may, you know, there may be, you know, license encumbrances they're having to deal with. I mean, you, a lot of times, you know, in a code base like this, I mean, you, you actually may not own all the code. They may have licensed some of this and they, they're probably having to go through all kinds of uh, legal research and they may be trying to get licenses for things or, or buy the copyright. To, who knows? I mean, there's, there's a lot go, that goes into something like this. Um, let's see. Open, open Salesforce CLI to pull request. Oh, they're going to open it to pull requests and bug fixes. So that, hmm. that's one of the check marks you have to check, right? If it's yeah. going to be open source. Um, we will also begin adding our release notes as well as public roadmaps so that you can keep track of where we're going and any announcements that will be headed your way. So I think public roadmap, that, that's a good thing. Um, it'd be interesting to see who gets to participate in that roadmap. And again, I'm not implying that Salesforce has, I mean, obviously they have to control their roadmap for their product. I mean, this is a pretty important thing to their business. Mm -hmm. 
Um, let's see. Ensure any new plugins will have open source as part of their GA timeline. So there may be new plugins they create, right, that are net new that are not going to be open source. It's probably but more likely they have plugins in the work now that could be were not designed yeah. for, for that. Well, they're saying any new plugins, but they say that this open source does have to be a part of that, you know, I guess that team or that product's um, timeline. It has to be, GA has to be somewhere in your plan. Mm. Or being open source has to be right. part of your GA plan, sorry. Uh, there, they say there may be scenarios which going full OSS simply won't be an option. Fair enough, and it's good. I think it's good they call that out. Um, but they Salesforce CLI has set a goal to go 100% OSS. Uh, I did note that the word license appeared a grand total of zero times in this article, in this blog post. But I did go click through a couple of the repositories that they've already got and, you know, just look for the license.txt file. And they're all BSD3 license, which is pretty good. Um, or it's a BSD with the, what are the, the clause three or whatever the hell it is, which I think is, you know, it's, 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 a, um, it's a permissive license. But I think that particular clause requires that you can't use um, anyone's like names or co or trademarks or whatever in promoting whatever derivative product you make from it. So let's say you you were to go package, you know, your Jed's mm -hmm. uh, CLI tool, and you're just repackaging sales. Maybe you're adding some things to it. Would you but, stop <laughs> announcing my projects? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you couldn't. No, you couldn't use, I guess, Salesforce's name, people's, people's names, their name, whatever, in, in promoting it. Um, you do have to include, though, I think, um, attribution mm -hmm. somewhere in your thing. You have to, part of your, like, if you have a license agreement to your users, you'd have to say this includes, like, you know, Salesforce code, BSD license, whatever. Uh, yeah, so there's, you know, they've got license files, and then it looks like everything was BSD3. Um, some of those license files were added very recently, so... You can tell this is an ongoing effort to get this done, but that'll be pretty cool. Um, I have picked apart, this is a, probably a year ago now, but I wanted to, I needed to do a bunch of, I guess I was in kind of a node environment maybe, and I was wanted to do a bunch of Salesforce stuff, and I wanted to tap into the functionality that the CLI exposed, but I didn't want to have to go, I don't want to have to run, I don't want to shell out to a, you know, have rat code that shells open a terminal and, mm. and you know, calls cells, you know, command line stuff. I wanted to go under that layer and just call into the appropriate APIs or whatever. And I think, I think that ALM was part of it at that time. I think I, I think I ended up using that ALM project. There's a bunch of functionality in it. You can just call directly instead of going through the CLI. Yeah. Layer. So that kind of leads me to who, who would be the target for, for using this. And I think probably CI vendors are probably the most attractive for this. CI vendors. I, well, here's the biggest target. Other teams at Salesforce building plugins for the CLI. You think they'll be doing that? Absolutely. This is yeah. This this is improves. This is going to improve the engineering and like in lots of aspects of of the CLI because in uh, I mean it's it's an the CL the Salesforce CLI itself is like an ecosystem of plugins. Mm -hmm. And so the more again the more they can modularize that, make it reusable, higher quality, you know, open source, all that stuff. I mean, it just it's just going to improve everything for teams at Salesforce trying to get stuff done. But also, yeah, third party and outs, you know, um, outside parties. Individuals, you know, just working at their corporate job, trying to get Salesforce stuff done. Uh, ISVs. Everyone, really. Did you see this? Is this thing new, this prioritize the Salesforce idea exchange? Feels new. 
Yeah. Or, either it feels <laughs> new or there's never been so much marketing around it as there are, is, as there is now. Uh, I, this is one of the things I heard a lot of complaints from privately again. I mean, we've, we've already, <laughs> we've known that, I don't, I don't know if it makes a difference. I tried to look at it, but then I didn't look at it. <laughs> I clicked on it, and then I was like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Um, I don't know if I'm just uh, cynical or what, but it just it feels like, okay, ideas ideas aren't working. We're not really using them that way, except now but we are. But it's part of ideas. It's like another layer on top of ideas yeah, or it's something? Yeah, like, it's like now we're going right. to add this other layer to help us manage it even better, and you guys get to prioritize it. But it almost feels... Like, I already voted on it in ideas. So I have to now, do I get to... Because yeah, I'm given another budget of votes to vote on like they're giving you like yeah a, they give you like this coins or something coins yeah and you, yeah it's, ben, it's benioff weird. bucks <laughs> <laughs> b bucks <laughs> um to, yeah to spend so it's like well i guess i have to vote again but it, it is it, it's um there's there's a there's a uh a methodology that uses that um kind of concept where you're given a certain a gambling n- no <laughs> maybe you're given a certain amount of, uh, uh, we'll just say money for lack of a better word, and you can spend that money on certain features. I think it's like part of like a, a prioritizing what's, it's kind of like this, <laughs> but it's not new. It's not, it's not new. It's, I've seen it before where you basically have a bunch of user stories, but you you need to prioritize it, but you only get so many tokens Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. you spend those tokens on the things that you feel are important and everyone's contributing and spending on the most important and that's how they prioritize it. Yep. So I, I I like it. I don't, I don't know. Well, people got like planning. I've heard planning poker. Um, there's something like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You get chips and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not new. So, I mean, it's not a bad idea. I don't, I don't think it's bad. I just, I don't it, think... it just seems like the work you do to prioritize something, then you got to prioritize it again. It just kind of feels almost disingenuous. Well, also, or... I mean, people seem to, I think everyone, I think the sense is that it's, it's, it's rigged too. It's, you know, and it's also, it's just, it, it looks like it, when you go to look at that screen, it looks like it's not for us. It looks like, again, it's for marketing reasons. It does look like it's for marketing reasons. And it, it given the disparity between developers and admins, I feel like there's going to be way more of them than us type of thing. That, so good luck. Yeah. Good, if <laughs> we could all pull together our chips and put it all on namespaces, and it would never equal what would get spent on admin yeah. features. I mean, the, 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 so the problem is, yes, the developers were a, were a smaller group. Uh, much smaller group, and we have like way more bugs that need to be squ- and issues that need to be squashed than than other people do. That's just my uh, jaded opinion. <laughs> yeah, I just I guess I that's my biggest issue with it. I, I think if I could try to rephrase that, is that I feel like it needs it needs an electoral college is what it needs because we're so underrepresented given our size compared to the rest of the community. Oh yeah. You're right about that. We need to, we need to tip the scales in our favor. Right. <laughs> we're little, we're little Rhode Island over here. Yeah. <laughs> we need our points to count exactly. a little bit more. Or even like, doesn't like, I don't know, like Puerto Rico and some of these places they have, they have like, they're involved too. They get to vote. They get, it's like, why do you guys, and <laughs> some of these uh, Pacific Islands, don't they have like, I don't know. I feel like they've got some electoral votes in there somehow or yeah. another. Anyway, uh, what else? Let's see. So Facebook, uh, this is kind of Salesforce related, but Facebook, you know, they have this new shopping feature they announced, which was just a big deal in the business investor community. Did you hear about this? Mm-mm. So there's some um, new, it's a new e-commerce thing called Shops, 
Facebook shops, I guess, or actually I think it's across Instagram too, which is part of a lot of the excitement about it. But uh, I suppose it can better position uh, Facebook to compete against these more established third-party e-commerce platforms, which is interesting because I was trying to figure out really so that competing against like are they competing against you know like Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, and Shopify and Magento and these, and I don't think that's what it means actually because it turns out that Shopify is like one of their big partners. So I think it's a lot of this is actually powered by Shopify, which is actually great because I don't tell you what, any store that's powered by Shopify, it's such a great experience. Makes yeah. it so nice. I, I can, and I can kind of recognize them. It's like, yeah, there's a few that I can recognize yeah. and there's some that I like. There's one of them that starts with a G. I think that I like I forgot what it was called. Hmm. Um, but okay. So shops is a free service that businesses can list their products for sale on Facebook, Instagram stories, or in ads. Um, and it will be expanded over time to include WhatsApp, Messenger, and Instagram. So this is, I mean, considering that Facebook has just these all these giant properties, mm-hmm. and this is this could be, I mean, in fact, it's such a big deal that they're saying, you know, this is going to add like net revenue for Facebook of something like four billion dollars starting next year. Just good because that's where we're going to put our new store. I know Facebook GDS Facebook. Okay. There you go. Um, so Shopify is one of the back-end partners, and also uh, Big Commerce, WooCommerce, Channel Advisor, Said Commerce, Cafe Twenty Four, Tienda Nube, Tienda Nube. I know that means store something. What does that mean? Store uh, anyway. and Feedonomics. Hmm. Um, there's an Instagram checkout feature of it, so that'll be. I'm sure my wife will be buying things on that. Okay. Um, you can buy those hot yoga pants you've been staring at. So they're saying it will blend Facebook, blend Facebook's visual nature with influencer-driven shopping. John, God, I hate influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I made the joke that when was Salesforce going to change MVP to be influencers? But I'm I'm glad that oh never happened. Yeah. God, I hate hate that word. Oh, sorry, sorry. The four billion incremental new starting in 2021. That was just um, Instagram an estimate of Instagram's net increased revenue. Mm-hmm. So this this is huge. And they say it will integrate artificial intelligence, intelligence and product recognition technologies to identify manufactured products that are embedded in images and then provide users with links to those retailers. So like when you post a photo of just like, oh, look, I got this new, you know, Ubiquity router or whatever. It's, it's going to recognize that photo and it's going to put an ad right next to it with someone. So they're tracking you. Oh, yeah, of course. Now they're, they're target mar- yes. then, then they're target marketing to you. And now you can just go directly to buy from that right. target ad. And that's that's the thing. It's any, closing the loop. Well, again, this goes back to the, like, any service that you use, like say for everyone who uses Facebook and Instagram. I mean, if you're not paying for that, then you have to ask yourself, what is the product? What's what's the product that's being sold? Or this is a company that makes a lot of money. What is the product being sold? And the answer is, eyeballs. the answer is you. No, you're mm-hmm. the product being sold. I know. They're selling your eyeballs to uh-huh. advertisers. Yep. But I, the reason I thought this is Salesforce related is because I'm just thinking, okay, is this competitive with, you know, Salesforce has always had an interesting relationship with Facebook. They're big partners because of the, all the commerce mm-hmm. uh, and, and marketing tracking stuff, right? Um, but, but also, you know, it's been a little adversarial. Um, Benny has been real critical. You know, Facebook is, is the new smoking or cigarettes or whatever he said. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of just going after social media in general in that context. I, I think I think it's one of those things, like kind of like we have competition. Oh, no, not not no he no that's not fair. It was not social media in general. It was Facebook. Benioff because it was the biggest one. He took the show no. He even he even made it when he quit Facebook. He even made a big point about it and tweeted about it on Twitter. You well, know? he made he had the same fight with uh, the dude from Twitter, whatever his name is. Oh, that was just over. That was him bullying to 
you know, give some money to the thing that Benioff thought people should give money to. That's all that was. No, there was that. There was that political bill. There was the right. That's what that was. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. there's been a couple of things that he's kind of gone after them yeah. for. I agree, but it wasn't about their pro- the toxicity of their product. It was about th- these people, either personally or business, you know, supporting the things that Benioff thinks they should support. Whereas with Facebook, it was all about how it's just toxic to its u- the product itself is toxic to its users. Maybe, but I, I still would put it under the light of co-opetition, where they're they they'll say things that, because they're competing, but in the behind the scenes, they're shaking hands and having margaritas and whatever. Yeah. But but you know after I read through a couple of these articles, I really decided this is it's not really a thing that competitive with Salesforce. I mean, sure, Facebook is using some of these vendors under the hood that may be competitive with Commerce Cloud, mm-hmm. but still, I mean, all driving all the eyeballs and tracking the people to buy all this stuff. That's still that's still right where Salesforce and Facebook are partnered. Yeah. So, I, in fact, it's this is probably a net positive for Salesforce. I'm sure. I don't think so. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, John, your your favorite podcast, uh, Joe Rogan. Hear about that? Yeah, it's going to be a Spotify exclusive. Yep. So what are you going to do? Are you going to gonna be a Spotify user? It doesn't matter to me where the feed comes from. It just downloads into my podcast. Not anymore, it's not. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I know. Yeah. So if you want to listen to Joe going forward, starting in, what is it, September, October, August, something like that? I mean, I have Spotify. I just never, I mean, we're, we're on Spotify. I just mm. never, I don't have a lot of reason to go to Spotify, but things like this might. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is always a controversial thing. I mean, good for him. He made like 190 million dollars or whatever it was. Um, it's it's odd how these platforms um, are buying people. Like, you, there's a lot of different platforms that bought people out out of YouTube. There's there's a bunch of people that bought people out of Twitch. There's a, there's all these different platforms that are buying people now for exclusivity on their platforms. So it's it's really it's really interesting how this is all working out. This well, kind of new new way of doing yeah. business so was it was last year or i think about i was thinking of sometime last year when spotify bought gimlet for 230 million dollars hmm. just to get some podcasts i mean it's i don't know also i didn't feel like any of their podcasts were really worth it that much but what do i know so. i mean joe you know he's a proven product right yeah yeah i'd say so i think much more so than some of these other things but uh, no, it's just the, the controversy over, you know, the, can you still call these things podcasts? I mean, podcasts are things that have an RSS feed and that can be plugged into any compliant, you know, any, any podcast, what do they call it, podcatchers, podcast software, whatever, that, you know, can read the RSS feed and pull down the, the media file that's attached to it. And yeah, I don't know. I now, don't know. Now it seems like you're we're, it's transitioning to just a radio show, right? Because it's. It's not, it's no longer, there's no longer a feed. You're right. There's- yeah. Yep. Um, Marco Arment, who knows a little bit about podcasts, had this to say. F, I'm, I'm censoring this, F Spotify and F any quote podcast, unquote, that's only playable in one app. And I'm sure Rogan would laugh all the way to the bank with his millions oh. that he got for oh. it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure too. I'm sure Arment would, would. Would sell sell out too. Notice he didn't say F Rogan. He said F Spotify and F any podcast is only playable in one app. Like he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna listen to that. But I'm sure personally he would say, Oh, Joe, that's freaking great. Congratulations. I would have done the same thing, you know? <laughs> Everyone's got a price. Um except that now nobody who, can listen to who's Rogan's it, uh, podcast on on out overcast. I have someone that told me. Someone that 
I don't remember who this was, but there's, you know, everyone's got, everyone's got a price. Like, you know, this person said, I would, I would gladly eat dog shit for a billion dollars. I'm like, no, okay. I probably would too. I probably a lot less than that. Yeah. (laughs) A lot less than that. (laughs) So would I move my podcast to, you know, and, and that's his business too. I mean, it's not like, you know, that, that's, that was the goal of that business is to be a business and to maximize shareholder profit. (laughs) He doesn't have any shareholders. I'm sure That's he does. Nice thing about I mean, it may be him. Some, there's someone's a shareholder. It's you know he's he's probably a primary shareholder, but he's got every, he's a he's a company. It's a company there. And, yeah, he's a company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, I had to call Apple. Let's talk about my new MacBook Pro 16 for a minute. Okay. You want to keep it short because you're you're short on time. Yeah, and let me and find out. There is one topic I did want to get to. Okay. Well, I'll just do this fast because. Okay. No one wants to hear about Apple this, this much. But I got that new MacBook Pro 16, and I've been really just taking my time on getting it set up. By the way, um, um, did I tell you about that? So, uh, well, I don't, know. I don't want to name people's names. So, I don't, but so, someone shared a script in our Slack, because one thing I was concerned about, not because I just knew how much work I had in front of me, was getting mm-hmm. this machine set up, because I'm, I'm not going to like clone the disk and restore it onto this one. I'm not going to, I don't even want to use the migration assistant, actually. Not even to move documents or anything like that. I just want to start from scratch and only move the things I need. The downside of that is I've got stuff that, that some stuff's very clear cut. I mean, like stuff, you know, my, the, the documents folder, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can look in my applications folder and see which applications I need to install. But it's all the other stuff, like what command line stuff have I installed? What's all the homebrew stuff? Where where are my Postgres and my SQL databases? And, and again, the the format, the files are in. Can I just copy those over? And if I have not, the, if I have like a newer, when I install via Homebrew, like MySQL and Postgres, those are newer versions where they get, will they read those? And like, and I was looking at where like where Docker for Mac stores all the stuff and it's it's all this mess. I'm like, I don't even know. And I, I'm, I'm sure I could find, I just got to read more. I just have mm-hmm. to have time to, I'm sure there's people have posted like how you, oh yeah, this is how you move your Docker. You know, you're running Docker containers. It's not the images that's so, because those are the part that those right. are in a, a repository somewhere. Right. Um, it's the it's the running containers, right? The instantiated Docker containers that I have attached to file systems, and I'm like, I don't even know where that crap is. And I, can I just move those from one computer? I don't even know. But yeah, someone shared a. a they didn't. They didn't say they could use your name, so I'm not going to use it. But um, it's in the Slack. But someone shared a a really cool script. I mean, this looks like there's a lot of work put into this. That, um. Like set up, I mean, just so much stuff. Um, first of all, like listed, like enumerated all the, all the, um, the homebrew packages, mm-hmm. and then any of them that needed like extra casks, so tapping these the extra casks, and also what's the what's homebrew call the thing where um, you it'll install like applications your applications folder, so like GUI applications, so you can use homebrew to like install Microsoft Office and all kinds of stuff. Hmm. I didn't know that, and it's just all in there, and in, like setting up ZSH and just so you know all kinds of crap and it's like it just looks like it's really well done and it's just you can and it's also idempotent or idempotent however you say that like the first way idempotent <laughs> well see that sounds weird to me it's almost i don't know I, but anyway whatever uh meaning that you can run that file over and over and it will it will patch up anything that didn't work well right the first time that you removed you know it's not destructive in, in, right. in that sense so you can just keep you run it whenever you want. It's just going to get the system back up to the target state in a non-destructive way. So how do you give it the source? 
So the source is just this script. So you just you just copy this script to your computer, and mm-hmm. it literally just starts, you know, grabbing the minimal stuff from the internet. You know, some some you know essential utilities, wget and whatever, all these things, and then it installs Homebrew, and then just it just bootstraps itself from there and just just goes to town. Databases, uh, just everything. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So just by I haven't run it because it's customized for this this one person. But I mean, I could you could easily modify and just add the applications you want, remove the ones you don't. And, uh, yeah, based on just looking at it, eyeballing it, it, looks like it would work quite well. You can tell a lot of thought went into it. I still can't believe it takes this much work to, for you to get a new computer. Well, so let me go back to the problem, because I, I already lied. I said I wouldn't turn this into a long topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what was the problem? What was the problem I was having that I wanted to talk about? I don't um, remember. You told me you were going to save it. Oh, oh. So... I need. I'm, I thought, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and put it in target disk mode, hook it up to my old computer, and just with my Thunderbolt cable, make sure that all works and everything. And so I put it in target disk mode. That works just fine. Plug in the Thunderbolt cable from the old computer to the new computer, and in on the new computer, which is in target disk mode, you know, it shows the Thunderbolt logo on the screen. So I know there's a Thunderbolt connection there. And on my old computer, I, I guess you get a prompt that's like it wants me to enter the password. Mm-hmm. For the new com- for the new computer because I'd already set up like a use just a user account with a password. So I know that that works, but it never shows up in Finder. Like it never actually mounts the drive. I open up disk utility, I can see the volumes, but they won't mount at all. Hmm. And I tried lots of different things because you know just trial and error, just like whatever. And I couldn't get anything to work. So I called. I actually Google. I, I, I had no faith that this would actually work. I'm never. I don't think I've ever called Apple before. But it turns out, like, I just, I went to the Apple's website and I hit support and it's like, oh, do you want to call us? And so it's one of those, you put in your phone number and they call you back like in two minutes. So call, they called me and I talked to this guy for 30, like 30 minutes. I was on the phone with him. And basically what fixed it was um, the disk on the new machine I had to go through. I had to do that first day thing, which is a repair. I, had mm-hmm. to, I went through a repair process and it found some things were wrong with it. And then I could, I could, I could mount it. I'm like, I just didn't expect a brand new disc to need repairs. I mean, surely they image those discs, right. you know, from something that's a known good image. Right. <laughs> yeah. It got corona. Yeah. I something. Yeah. Got corrupted. <laughs> but yeah, do you ever run? That's that's just a tip. You sh- you're supposed to run just that, you know, disc repair every so often. Once a month or whatever. Uh, I think it's part of my um, cleanup tool set. Your tools, your cleanup tool set. Yeah, it's got this little app that <laughs> runs and does a bunch of maintenance stuff for me, and I run it every so often. Hmm. I'm big about sanitizing my machine. I, I don't, re, I don't reinstall it like I used to. Um, back you're in the you're old, scared of the unknown. Mm, no, I like things being clean. I don't mm. like a bunch of temp files sitting on my machine and all that kind of stuff. I want it all gone. I want it yeah. clean. Um, sometimes I get over aggressive and I clean things off that I shouldn't. And I've I've messed some things up, um, and I still do to this day. Cut a, just, cut a little too deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, that, I'm not that way. I'm that way when I clean sometimes too. Like I used to <laughs> You're taking the finish off your. I, I table. <laughs> exactly what I was gonna say. I've taken the finish off things, like especially the sink. You know, you have those stainless steel sinks, yeah. and I'm scrubbing them, uh-huh. and the my rag looks gray because it's <laughs> yeah. got it's got material on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so sometimes I try to avoid cleaning the way I normally clean because I I get a little aggressive about mm. it. Yeah, one of these days you're going to be scrubbing that sink so hard it's going to, it's going to be like basically aluminum foil left. You're going to just poke right through. <laughs> if I did that, my wife would kill me. <laughs> yeah, well, you just buy a new sink. I'm even afraid to clean our new countertops because 
I don't know how to take care of them, and I, I'm afraid that I'm just going to ruin them. Seal them. What's the material? Quartz. Seal it, if you haven't. No, I think that it's some kind of engineered quartz. It's okay. an engineered <laughs> quartz, and it's supposed to be really easy to maintain, okay. better well, that's than good. granite, all that yeah. kind of stuff, but I'm still afraid that I'm going to go in there, do something, and because it wasn't cheap. Yeah. Oh, no. It, none of it is. Yeah. So I don't want to ruin it. All right. So we need to get to your thing. Uh, we can save it. It's, really? Like I said, it's not time critical. We can save it and I can give so you some this time. So to... we're holding it over for the second time again? It, you, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, I, I might be making more of it than, than it is. So it I, probably could be a quick topic. Okay. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, so this one, uh, can I use the name? I don't know if I can use the name. Sorry. I had that note in the last one. I don't remember if I can or not, so I'm not going to. Uh, but this was an article about whether or not Salesforce can keep growing. And it requires some explanation because the article title doesn't really pertain to what it is about. Uh, so the title of the article is, Can Salesforce Keep Growing? Five Possibilities for Mark Benioff. It even has a quite extensive editor's note that kind of says, you know, we really don't agree with what this guy said in this guest article, but oh, well, it's here. Oh, really? It's here for debate. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, you would think it was, would be talking about, and even the first paragraph talks about, you know, Salesforce's year over year growth um, at 35% and how the future looks rosy and all that kind of stuff, but it's facing increased pressure from AWS, Microsoft, Google, and Oracle. Dude, this is the guy. Is this not the guy that um, did had written a bunch of these articles on LinkedIn that everyone was just saying was, man, that's just a bunch of bull crap. Is that the same guy? <laughs> it might be. Uh, I think it might be. It might be. Jerry yeah. Crom. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's him. Same yeah. guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so on the surface, it seems like, okay, we're going to get some in-depth analysis on whether or not Salesforce's growth rate can keep growing and what they can do to kind of keep that growth going. But no, because it, it devolves into their platform as if their chosen platform is going to affect their growth, which it's not. Whether or not it sits on Oracle or AWS or anything else, I don't think it's going to affect their growth because their growth isn't based on that. It's not based on the platform or the technology they're built on. They're not even selling the platform Really, they're selling you this idea of it, you know. Yeah, I, I. It's it's hard for me to connect how Salesforce markets and actually sales and and you know sales licenses with um with what people actually need and what actually things actually need to get done. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we. It kind of goes into certain areas that I thought we could we could kind of cover in debate, but I don't know if we have the time for that. So I'll just kind of do it in an overview. But well, I can, I'm just clicking because I didn't get a chance to pre-read this. But you know, there's a lot of this gets down into technical details. You know, how do you? It's not. How would you replace Oracle? You know, like. It, but it does. But okay. it tries to draw this dotted line to saying that this is how it's going. They're going to affect their growth by by one of these platforms. Go. Can you can you synopsize for us like what he's saying here? Yeah, so he's okay. basically saying that that sales he's given Salesforce these five options on continued growth, but he's basing it off their technology. One of them being stay on Oracle and my and migrate their existing database infrastructure or backend infrastructure from Oracle to Oracle's new autonomous database stuff. Um, and, and what is so? I'm actually not even sure what the Oracle autonomous database is. What is that? Just a hosted service that Oracle has? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's it's kind of like their ready-made pods. It has all the database stuff and the transactional related stuff built into it. Self-driving, self-security and self-repairing cloud service. Yeah. Well, 
I think Salesforce is too big for that, actually. I mean, they, uh, Salesforce is big I, enough that they have to have full control over. I don't think do they, they well, because I, they're, they're, uh, one of the options on here, and it's something they are doing today, is 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 doing more with AWS, hosting more yeah. of their, their application on AWS. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it it's one or the other. Maybe so. Yeah, that that's interesting. I, it just, it, I don't know. That's a good point. I mean, it just seems weird to me to think of Salesforce outsourcing their database to a service provided by Oracle. Well, so, and that's, that's where the debate kind of comes in is that they're but, already highly dependent on Oracle on the database side. They've right. already tried to get off Oracle and I don't think they've done so with, with much success. And yeah. it doesn't appear that any of their new stuff is leaning towards that way. I mean, there's, there's other bolt-on applications that don't utilize Oracle, but the main crux of the application is still on Oracle and it doesn't appear to be changing. Yeah. Um, and so to that point, do they continue to go deeply embed with Oracle and start using more of their, their new services, like, like the autonomous database? Um, do they, do they try to move over to AWS, keeping the existing infrastructure, but at least using AWS to host more of their, their pods? Um, do they do some kind of blended approach where they kind of use their own stuff and that, um, or do they go full in with AWS, which is another option that, that he kind of tries to explore? Because AWS has, um, obviously a bunch of tooling built around Postgres, but they also have their own Aurora, Aurora, Aurora I can't say that word, or <laughs> you say it. Aurora database, um, which I know very little about, but apparently it's it's their own homegrown database. I don't know what style. I don't know if it's relational or document or what memory based. It's I don't fully understand. I've never used Aurora. It's it's it is it's relational, and it was originally. And I don't know if it's. I think it's so. My for example, MySQL right is open or MySQL whatever. Sorry, is open source. Mm-hmm. I think, and because originally Aurora was um, it was basically a My, MySQL compatible database whether it's actually mysql or not i don't think people you know you're not supposed to care about but just know that you can you know their their sql syntax and everything is mysql compatible and i think they added postgres too at some point mm-hmm. and again is it a postgres database or is it or do they just like implement postgres's uh you know sql dialect and all that kind of stuff and i don't know but and i don't think that Either of those are going to perform up to what Salesforce needs. I mean, maybe maybe Postgres could. And they, they tried the Postgres thing. And yeah. and I don't know how deep that got or if there's any parts of that that are still left. Or, you know, maybe they successfully moved some things to Postgres. But, I mean, we know there's still – the core of it still seems to be Oracle at this point. Yeah, because it's not you just know. the data store itself. It, there's there's all these other technologies that they're using. I mean, but the if, security and the data segmentation, the schemas, all that kind of stuff. But if five years ago, or whenever that was, you know, they failed to migrate to Oracle, you know, I don't, I don't see how Aurora changes that. I don't think it does. And I don't think it does either. Yeah, okay. The the fifth option that he throws out there is this guy named Thomas Curian, which apparently I should know who he is, but I don't. But he apparently used to work at Oracle. Yes, we you know who he is. We've covered him many times. Sure, I'm yeah. sure, but okay. I have short term memory, so. <laughs> yeah, he he left, but he left for Google. Yeah, and, and he so, runs. So he's like president or whatever of Google Cloud and GCP now. Right. So he's speculating that maybe Google, because they don't currently have their own database offering, that they may develop one and to start competing with everyone else, and that that could be an option. But I don't think any of these are really an option. I think, I think for Salesforce, it's it's risky to try to switch off uh, off of a database at this point. Also, you got to remember that. The, 
pods are backups for other pods, so they're failovers. Um, they're right. So you, well, they can side switch. So a but, pod can have more than one site, but I don't think a pod replaces another pod, does it? No, but there is site switching. So there is the backups for one pod, I believe, gets replicated to another specific pod as a failover, and that obviously gets replicated to another. So whenever they have to do a switch or bring down a pod, they'll site switch everyone over to that other pod, which has all the application and data for that region, and then they'll switch it back when they can, which is why we had that huge issue before, because that, that process didn't happen correctly. Um, that, that's a heck of an engineering challenge, by the way, right. side switching. And I don't think Salesforce taking a blended approach will help that story. Um, to have one area that's on one type of database, another area that's on one type of database, or even just different technologies, one that's on their own their own pod technology and one that's on AWS, I don't think it's going to work quite that well. So I don't know. I don't think this hybrid approach for them is going to work. I think they're going to have to commit to one technology or the other um, just for the efficiency of main, of maintaining and site switching. And I, I'm not the, you know, closest follower of Tom, Thomas Curian, but you know, th this guy here says that his primary goal is to replace Oracle. Really? I don't think, I don't so. think that's He's so. running Google yeah. cloud platform. Yeah. I mean, I don't think his, I don't think he really thinks about Oracle that much. No, but it would it would stand to reason that if Google doesn't have a good database story and they're offering cloud, that they would develop their own database solution of some kind, so whatever says, that it says, like. It's likely Curian will develop a brand new database with his strategic hires from Oracle. Mm, no. This guy's qualified to be a host on this podcast, John, I think. Because <laughs> he has no problem making shit up. Oh, wow. Well, he's not a journalist. He's a tech journalist. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I have to play your clip. I have to be your clip here. No, no, you don't get to search for it. <laughs> well, how, why, you why don't I get to search for it? Because you weren't quick on the take. It was a perfect opportunity. And you just, you well, there. if you stomp over my opportunity. Keep then. in mind, these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, at first... When I first saw this article, I thought, okay, this is some things to debate. But then I looked, I reread the headline and goes, this has nothing to do with their growth. And then I read the editor's note and I was like, yeah, <laughs> they don't agree with this either. No, but. they don't. You, you have to have an editor's note on this guy. I mean, yeah. it's, they're, they're crazy. Ideas. They're kind of interesting. It's almost like, it re it's almost like fiction. It's like, it's like reading, it's entertaining to read his stuff. It's just so, it's so far-fetched. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, it can inspire some debate if you want to play devil's advocate and talk about what could and could not. But the reality is, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think they already have a, a, enough of a problem with integrating all of their acquisitions that they're adding on now. And then to throw in the mix a whole back-end architecture switch, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. I think it is what it is. It's just it's too big to fail at this point. And then he's got this idea at the end that Keith Block would join Microsoft and yeah that was the other thing he kept making about uh, within this article was that somehow salesforce's future was tied to where keith would end up as if keith is this strategic piece on a chessboard and wherever he moves it creates this new relationship pipeline between that company and salesforce and plus i think Keith's on the payroll as a as an advisor to mark benioff for at least a year right? yeah something like that i mean that's i, I, keep, out, I keep trying to stalk him and find out what, what's going on with him but he's he's being very carefully secretive. I have Keith no is? idea where he's, where he's, uh, where I don't he's gonna do. Although I did see him tweet the other day that he I think he had a daughter that just graduated high school or something. So but that's that's literally the only thing I know about him since he left Salesforce. 
Yeah, this is this this guy. He, he's good at the clickbait managed. It, it is. It reads like fiction. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I want to know how much he got paid for this article because uh, probably nothing. Because I can do this. Probably nothing. Yeah. I can do this. <laughs> we do do this. <laughs> it's like tech mad libs. You just like fill in names of people and names of products and yeah, shuffle it all up and see how it comes out. All right, John. Well, we don't have time for this, but I'll, I got some some other developer stuff that I wanted to talk about, but we'll talk about well, that okay. next time. You have to talk. Yeah, we're, we're over an hour, hour and 20 at this point. I wanted to get your thoughts on some design patterns because I've been... Mm. Our, our last uh, community topic kind of had me wanting to go back and revisit some of them. So I have been, and I've been kind of taking some personal time to kind of play around with them and build some stuff as if I'm going to use them. Uh, it's and it's been an interesting exercise, so I thought I'd like to talk about that sometime. Okay, well, put that in your notes for next week or yeah. next episode, whenever that may happen. <laughs> All right, well, uh, dear listener, we have a Slack team that uh, you should join if you haven't already, and you do that by going to gooddayserpodcast dot com and clicking on community. Community should know this by now. <laughs> Uh, we also have an email address where you can email us uh, topics or questions that we can cover on the show, all that kind of stuff, complaints or sticker requests. We have sticker, lots, lots, lots of stickers that we are happy to send out. Oh, hold uh, on. Are you going to wear gloves when you send those out? Of course. Yeah, I will I sanitize sure. everything. I don't want you spreading your, your, will, your germs yeah, everywhere. I will cover it all with my special sanitizing solution <laughs> and it'll all be safe. Right. <laughs> uh, and that email address that is... solution is... <laughs> <laughs> info at gooddayserpodcast.com. Uh, five-star reviews are oh, always please. welcome. Yeah, only five-star. Only. Um, if you love this show, especially give it a five-star. But if you hate it, also give it a five-star. That's the rule. Mm-hmm. If you made it this far, that's that's the uh, value for value. <laughs> uh, what else, John? We get paid in stars. Um, yeah, I think they're, what are they about? What are they trading? About a hundred, uh, one star to a hundred US dollars right now? Something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not bad. So, yeah. Um, and other than that, just share us on the socials and tell your friends and your en- enemies. And uh, we'll keep growing this little community. Yeah. And to that. <laughs> now I get, now, see, this helps because I can see your face as you're kind of making these faces at me. Like, hmm, hmm, I, st- I need to start hmm. giving you the wrap it up sign. No, so. I, just, I, I like it when you make the faces. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you and, do. <laughs> <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir!